Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to follow on from the episode we did on THC and instead focus a lot of our attention on cannabidiol. Fergal, could you talk to us a bit about the clinical effects of cannabidiol? Yeah, sure. So cannabidiol, otherwise known as CBD, is one of many phytocannabinoids. Um, now, it, it's really interesting because we always assume that the clini- clinical effects of cannabinoids are mediated by their interaction with the cannabinoid receptors, as, as is reasonably the case with THC. So CBD is another phytocannabinoid. It surely works on the same receptors. Well, the answer is it doesn't. CBD does not have a substantial effect either at the CBD1 or the CBD2 receptors. It may act as what is known as a non-competitive negative allosteric modulator of CB1 receptors. It may. But it has a number of other effects. So we know that it also acts as a scavenger. It's an antioxidant. It scavenges uh, reactive oxygen species. We know that it's a positive allosteric modulator of the glycine receptor. And what does that mean? So glycine is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. So we know it mediates inhibition. It's also an agonist to serotonin receptors and various types of specific pain receptors. Uh, It's also involved in the regulation of calcium homeostasis. And it's also, and interestingly, also is an enzyme inhibitor. It inhibits the the activity of the enzyme FAAH. Now, remember from previous uh, talks, FAAH is the enzyme that metabolizes anandamide. And anandamide was the first CB1 agonist. So therefore, it actually potentiates the action of anandamide and potentiates the action of CB1 receptors indirectly. So overall, it doesn't really um, uh, interact with the receptors primarily. It has indirect effects, which may augment the action of the endocannabinoid system. So how does that translate into clinical effects? I mean, Philippe, would you care to comment on the clinical effects of uh, cannabidiol? Sure, Fergal. So the common clinical effects of cannabidiol are seizures. It can it can affect be an effective anti-epileptic agent. It helps with the mm. as an anti-emetic potentially for people who mm. feeling um, uh, quite nauseated. It it does help mediate psychotic symptoms as well. So in some cases it can act as an effective antipsychotic. And as we've talked about earlier, it can also potentially uh, work as an anti-inflammatory agent, as something of an anxiolytic and can also aid with pain and act as an analgesic. So all these actions are what cannabidiol um, can can produce in the body, and it's the role that cannabidiol plays in in, in the medicinal cannabis space. So those are the common indications for for cannabidiol when we we prescribe it to our patients. Would you you say that's a fair summary, Fergal? Yeah, I think I think the epilepsy is, issue is really interesting because I mean we know that there are there are certain childhood epilepsy syndromes that are very resistant to treatment and for some of those patients at least the use of pure cannabidiol is is life changing. It really does reduce the frequency and severity of, of seizures. Uh, 
And so it, it really does have a, a robust evidence base for that. I think the other thing to say is that really cannabidiol doesn't really have the psychoactive properties that THC does. And so that's why actually it's much more freely available. And in fact, as, as, as we speak now in Australia, it is now legal for CBD to be bought over the counter without a prescription. And that's, that's been decided and determined by the TGA last year. However, unfortunately, the, the cannabis, medicinal cannabis suppliers haven't yet come up with a product to meet that legal framework. But nonetheless, the TGA have created that legal framework because CBD is not psychoactive, it's not addictive, and it doesn't actually have a withdrawal phenomenon. CBD in and of itself is not associated with the, the addiction potential that THC and other, and other cannabinoids uh, have. That's not to say, however, that it is not without risk. What would you say are the risks of using CBD? So the commonest side effects of CBD are sedation, it can cause anorexia, it can sometimes cause some gastrointestinal disturbances, and it can also affect LFTs and cause some LFT derangement. So those are the, the, the commonest side effects of, of cannabidiol. Uh, and those are the things that we need to be mindful of um, as potential prescribers of cannabidiol and for our patients who are using cannabidiol so that we're vigilant about these side effects and these risks yeah. and that we can monitor our patients appropriately. Yeah. And this really comes into uh, the foreground when we're starting to talk about the, the mixtures that are available, the medicinal, the medicinal cannabis mixtures that are available are, you can either get pure THC or pure CBD. Well, theoretically, you can get pure THC. You can definitely get pure CBD and then you can get various mixtures of CBD and THC. And I think the most commonly used mixtures are either pure CBD or a combat or the 50-50 mixture of THC versus CBD. And I think it's important to highlight that really that the CBD is, it really has that antipsychotic effect. And so it, it mitigates against the risk of paranoia and psychosis that is associated with, with uh, THC. And that's really why in clinical practice, you tend not to get pure THC being used as medicinal cannabis. You know, medicinal cannabis always has some amount of CBD in it, if not completely. The second thing to say about, about medicinal cannabis uh, and the combinations thereof is that when you're driving and you get drug tested on driving, you only, they only test for THC. So they don't test for CBD. So theoretically, you're not, if you're on pure CBD, and I mean pure CBD, you're not going to show up positive on the driving test. However, when you look at the manufacturing details, Pure CBD does not guarantee the absence of any THC. It says like less than 1% THC. But, you know, I always counsel patients that, you know, even less than 1% of, C of THC in your pure CBD mixture, if you take enough of it, it'll show up positive on a, on a, on a, on a salivary sample that the police ask for. On a more, on, that's, that's one issue. On another, on another side of that coin is actually, you know, we are obliged as prescribers to tell our patients that both of these drugs have sedation, sedating actions, and therefore you should not drive and you should not be driving when you're using medicinal cannabis, nor for that matter, should you be driving if you're using illicit cannabis. But have you had any issues discussing that with your patients? I think it's 
par for the course when we're prescribing medications with side effects that can be quite sedatory. And I think this is mm. a very good parallel with some of our patients on opioid substitution therapy, where similarly yeah. when we're inducting them on treatment and they are not stable on treatment, we do counsel against the sedation effect of, say, methadone and buprenorphine when you're driving. Mm. And I usually advise yeah. my patients, particularly when I'm giving the LAIB injection and how uh, potentially variable the effects can be immediately, I counsel my patients yeah. not to drive uh, on, on, on that first day just because it can be a bit unpredictable. So similarly, when we have a medication that is known to be sedating, I think it, it, is, it is our duty as uh, responsible prescribers and practitioners to, to warn our patients mm. of the side effects. That's not to say that you will not never be able to drive, but especially when we're initiating a new medication or even a new mix with different strengths, we do have to let our patients know about the potential risks, not only for themselves, but for other road users as well, and ensure that they take appropriate precautions. And I guess, Fergal, this goes back to a question that I think you asked, and we've already partially touched on, which is the areas where you see CBD having the most benefit in, in, in medicine. We've already touched on its mm. effects on the body and the clinical effects, but Mm. which areas would you feel have the potentially most benefit in terms of prescribing CBD to patients? So I think there's no argument about its evidence base for its, for its role in childhood epilepsy syndromes. There is, there is uh, evidence for its benefit in the use of, uh, sorry, the treatment of positive symptoms of schizophrenia. Some, some research from the States suggests that there's also, I mean, it does have an anxiolytic property. So, you know, social anxiety might be a way of, uh, or might be an indication for its use. But again, I don't believe it will be first, second, or even third line for that. More interestingly, however, and certainly in our domain of practice, I mean, you know, what do you think about the role of CBD, pure CBD, in the management of uh, opioid use disorder and also cannabis use disorder? Have you got any thoughts on that? I think it's hard to have a, a strong and fast opinion, and I think it's hard to be definitive as it is uh, an emerging field. But I guess in terms of patients who develop opioid use disorder as a result of prescription opiates for chronic non-cancer pain, mm. there, there is potentially, I guess, a role for CBD in, in that space where if we can spare the patient being on prescription opiates for large amounts of time, we can spare them an opioid use disorder and then spare them needing to go on opioid substitution therapy. So I could, I could certainly see its effect in opioid use disorder. And I guess given the fact that it, given the fact that it is less psychoactive than, than THC, you could intellectually see the potential um, root in cannabis use disorder as well. I'd hearken to add that I'm, I'm, I'm not prescribing this for, for these conditions currently, but you can mm -hmm. see the mechanism of action and where it may have some effect. Would you agree with that, mm -hmm. Fergal? Yeah, there's, there's, it's a really fascinating field of, of practice. So if we, if I look, if we just go back to prescription opioids, I mean, I, there have been papers published uh, by ardent advocates of, of, of CBD and the management of gradual tapers off opioids. So helping patients tolerate the, the flare-up of pain and the, and the withdrawal effects. Well, not even the withdrawal effects, but really the anxiety around coming off uh, high-dose opioids. CBD, there, there have been case studies written up and there's been papers published on the use of CBD 
to facilitate that transition. Um, but again, I think it's very much uh, second, third, fourth, fifth line even. And so let's just emphasize that the, you know, the management of, of high-dose opioids and chronic lung cancer pain for the majority of patients is actually just a gradual taper. The, the second issue is the role in um, cannabis use disorder. Now, if we, if we think about uh, you know, all of the phytocannabinoids that, are, that are, the patients get exposed to during cannabis use disorder, basically, it's like smoking. I've previously described smoking as a persistent dysphoric dependency and, and withdrawal to nicotine interspersed with intermittent episodic intoxication. I think the same thing applies with uh, cannabis use disorder. Patient, uh, you know, if you look at the if you look at cannabis withdrawal, I mean, amongst regular users, roughly a third of them are, are, are will experience regular cannabis withdrawal. And if you look at patients in um, in the treatment space, people actually accessing treatment, you know, up to fifty to well, the figures vary, but you know, fifty to ninety percent of patients in that cohort experience regular cannabis withdrawal, which then perpetuates their ongoing use of cannabis. So we know that, that a cannabis withdrawal lasts about you know, a, a week or so, but unfortunately, the, the, the longer-term insomnia effects can last much longer. So really what I'm trying to say is that when you overload the brain with a whole pile of phytocannabinoids, you basically switch off the endocannabinoid system. And then, and then once you withdraw then the endocannabinoid system takes a little bit of time to get can, can, to, to reactivate. Now, here's the thought that I've got, and I haven't done this yet. Uh, I, I think there's a colleague of ours who's investigating the use of this locally for cannabis use disorder. But imagine if you could have a drug that would activate the endocannabinoid system. But we do. We know that CBD inhibits FAAH. So if you inhibit FAAH, you're actually boosting up your own uh, anandamide levels, and therefore you're actually boosting up your own endocannabinoid system. So I think it's a really exciting space to see the or to explore, you know, the role of CBD in the management of cannabis use disorder and also in the management of opioid rotation and opioid tapering. It's 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 also it's exciting, but it's also problematic and it's also controversial. I mean, there are a lot of proponents that would argue against this. And I know a lot of pain specialists are, 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 are very ardent detractors from the role of cannabis in the management of chronic pain and also in the weaning of opioids, whereas there are others who are equally in the other side of the camp. They're equally ardent supporters. We just don't really know. We, I don't think we've truly established um, the role of CBD in, uh, in really these, these chronic pain conditions, these chronic uh, addiction problems. I think the best evidence really still remains in epilepsy, but it's an exciting space to watch uh, as, as, as the situation evolves. What would you say to that, Philippe? I'd agree with what you're saying. It is an exciting space to watch and it's an evolving space to watch as well. So the evidence is continually mm. coming in. Right now, we're on the cusp of discovering the role of CBD in medicinal use. There are some areas mm. that are showing great promise and there are other evolving fields where we may very well be using CBD in the next 5, 10, 15 years. But just as with anything, there's no one drug that's a panacea for, for everything. And mm. sometimes we've got to temper the marketing and the hype with the clinical reality. And that's, again, the reason to, to await the evidence and practice carefully, cautiously, and, and follow the relevant guidelines. So 
It has been, again, another action-packed episode of, of Cracking Addiction where we've discussed CBD in a lot of detail, talking about the clinical effects of CBD, the side effects, and the areas of potential benefit of CBD and potential clinical uses of CBD. So I'd like to thank you for your attention on this episode of Cracking Addiction and bye for now. Thank you.